What is up, fellow thermonuclear AFers? I am Dan Valley coming at you with our penultimate installment of the NBA What If exercise. Very quickly, before I get started, please remember to subscribe and follow this show wherever you're getting your podcast. if you have not done so already. Download every episode as well. Those are the things that help us out the most, specifically on Apple and Spotify. Ratings and reviews do a great deal for us as well. Also, shout us out on Twitter, retweet our promos, tell friends, family members, acquaintances, anyone who you know likes basketball about us. Consider joining our Discord and also following all our social channels. The links to those are in our podcast and YouTube descriptions. Also, head over to YouTube if you're listening to this and hit subscribe there as well. It would mean the world to me if you did all those things. As a brief refresher before we get into this, I've published um, or recorded six just quick podcasts Um, that are an audio version of a project that I did for Bleacher Report a few months ago where I asked a person who covers, follows, or roots for each NBA team about their biggest what-if for that franchise. They gave me their responses. I include my own words. This is an audio version of that. I know they can be tough to follow, so I've included the actual article link in the podcast description as well. But I did practice these. I'm getting better at the audio versions of them. And this is just some quick, digestible sub 15, 20 minute content that you can consume on the go while we're in the, the dead of September, so to speak with the Mitchell trade done and Kevin Durant's trade request rescinded Gobert already on the Timberwolves and, and all that jazz, uh, without further ado. Wow. All that jazz. How, how's about that? Without further delay though, let's kind of cannonball into this. We are up to the Southeast division, which means we begin with the Atlanta Hawks. Recency bias might call for yet another Luka Doncic versus Trey Young debate, but Trey has transcended enough himself to avoid having his faith, fate so far inexorably, inexorably tied to Luka. The Atlanta Hawks' 2005 draft day decision, on the other hand, that bears rehashing. And that's what sport castings, NBA maths, and formerly of Hardwood Knox, Adam Vermel, Adam Frommel wrote to me. Only one moment in recent Atlanta Hawks history left a dent in my wall from a television remote thrown across the room out of frustration. So that has to be the choice here. Once Andrew Bogut came off the board with the number one pick of the 2005 NBA draft, why did then general manager Billy Knight opt to use the second overall selection on Marvin Williams? Even at the time, it was a questionable decision since Will- since Williams, high- who had high two-way potential and everything taken into account, had started a grand total of zero games for a championship-winning North Carolina squad. But beyond that, Darren Williams and Chris Paul came off the board directly behind the longtime role player, and we all know how that turned out. If you need a reminder, not too well for the Hawks. The truly baffling part, Frommel continued, was that Atlanta actually needed help at point guard. A 27-year-old Tyron Lue drew the majority of starts at the one in 2004-2005 after arriving via midseason trade with the Houston Rockets. And the franchise didn't seem to have any long-term plans. Sure enough, Royal Ivy, taken in the second round of the 2004 draft, ended up starting for most of Williams' rookie year. Just imagine how the franchise's trajectory could have been forever altered had Paul been calling the shots for a Hawks roster that struggled to climb out of the Eastern Conference basement during the early portion of the Joe Johnson, Josh Smith era. Alternate selections beyond this and Trey versus Luka are hard to find. I think Frommel's right. I also still wonder what would have happened if Atlanta traded Al Horford and Paul Millsap rather than let them walk in consecutive summers for nothing, but that's admittedly much lower stakes. What if the Hawks drafted Chris Paul instead of Marvin Williams is by far and away the right call here. 
Our next team in this NBA what-if process, the Charlotte Hornets, who ordered yet another what-if moment headlined by Anthony Davis because CBS Sports' Kanata Edwards has it for you. Here's what he wrote to me. The easy answer is what if the then Charlotte Bobcats won the 2012 draft lottery and selected Anthony Davis instead of Michael Kidd Gilchrist. The core changes dramatically considering that Kemba Walker blossomed sooner. Then add that to the last vestiges of Al Jefferson. They would have accomplished something that hadn't been done since the franchise left Charlotte in 2002. Back-to-back playoff appearances. For advocates of optionality, me personally, this doesn't even have to be exclusively about Davis or about the then Bobcats dropping to number two in the 2012 lottery, despite farting out the, the worst winning percentage in league history. Yes, landing AD would have altered, well, everything. But they didn't just miss out on him. They selected the wrong player with their own pick in MKG after not getting AD. What if they had taken Bradley Beal, who went number three, or Damian Lillard, who went number six? The latter wasn't a consensus top prospect at the time, but Beal for sure made the cut. The Hornets just so happened to already have Kemba. Charlotte's first-round loss to the Miami Heat in 2016 looms as a secondary choice for me as well. If that team had won Game 7, it wouldn't have gone on to bag a title, but it likely would have doubled down harder on the core that offseason rather than just ponying up for Nick Batum and Marvin Williams. And this begs another interesting question. Knowing what happened after the Hornets almost beat the Heat, which is six straight lottery appearances amid questionable self-evaluation, would actually have making it out of the first round been worse for the team's long-term thinking? There's some food for thought. But I do think the biggest what-if for the Charlotte Hornets are, are just those various 2012 draft moments or what-ifs or whatever you want to consider them. Our next team in the what-if exercise is the one and only Miami Heat. Perhaps you're drawn to a development or moment from the Miami Heat's Big Three era. Trust me, I get it, because I was. What if Ray Allen misses? What if LeBron James never leaves? Those were my immediate and extended thought leanings. Then Alana Tauhauer of Five Reason Sports reminded me of a better one. Here's what she wrote. I can't not answer this with, what if Chris Bosh never had blood clots? To me, that changed the entire course of the organization post-Big Three. And not just on the court, but off it as well. Without Bosh falling ill, Alana continued, Miami likely would have never stumbled into its so-called forgotten years. And as a result, it very well might never have gone after Jimmy Butler. And although the cause and effect of both are easy to see from a purely basketball perspective, the cultural ramifications should not go overlooked. From the tandems of Rook, Rook, Rook 1 and Rook 2, Josh Richardson and Justice Winslow, Goran Dragic and Deion Waiters, known as 7-Eleven, and the brothers Johnson, James and Tyler, to Dwayne Wade's return, I firmly believe everything can be traced back to losing Bosch. A, a lot of is probably right here. This is wildly unsettling to think about. And it says nothing of what the heat might've looked like with a fully healthy Bosch who, despite his third wheel st- status during the Heatles era was a ridiculously good and historically underrated player. Knowing that team president, Pat Riley is also addicted to superstar pursuits. I can't, I can only imagine a post big three era led by Bosch peaks with the South Beach Godfather landing another marquee name even sooner. Maybe it's still Butler. Another fascinating consequence, by the way, are the Heat with a healthy Bosch in position to draft Tyler Hero at number 13 in 2019. Focusing on LeBron's exit is probably fine. What if Miami doesn't get trucked by the San Antonio Spurs in 2014 is another one. But that Heatles core spent the entire season operating on the brink in 2013-2014. And changing scenery every four years has essentially been LeBron's modus operandi since leaving Cleveland the first time. Bosch's health and abruptly shortened career is more impactful. 
So is Goran Dragic's left foot injury during the 2020 NBA Finals. What if he stays healthy? Do the Heat beat the Lakers? Ultimately, I think Alana's right here. Miami's biggest what if, certainly recently, and knowing that it does ring a little bit hollow to go with something from the big three era in general, is what if Chris Bosh is still playing, never has to retire. The next team up is the Orlando Magic. Smack you in the face options are available in abundance for the Orlando Magic. Kobe Price of the Orlando Sentinel selected a potentially painful banger. Here's what he wrote to me. What if Grant Hill and the Magic were able to get a better handle on his ankle injuries earlier? The Magic acquired Hill, who started battling with injuries in 2000 while he was on the Detroit Pistons, with the hope that he and Tracy McGrady could revive the franchise after the Shaquille O'Neal, Petty Hardaway, Penny Hardaway era ended. That didn't materialize. Hill played only four games in his first season with Orlando, 14 in his second, 29 in his third, and none in his fourth. By the time he was healthy, the Magic had traded McGrady to the Rockets and were rebuilding around Dwight Howard. What heights would a healthy Hill-McGrady duo have taken the Magic to? Far enough to play the Lakers in the finals, matching up Shaq against the franchise he left in 1996? Where would we rank Hill-McGrady among all-time duos? Would another non-Tim Duncan star have tried to push their way to Orlando to join them? Would Howard's career have been altered because the Magic were too good to draft him in 2004? What would the Rockets have done if McGrady was thriving alongside Hill? NBA history could have been altered significantly. This is incredible framing to me by Kobe because when we're talking about these what-if for teams, we tend to zoom in on how it impacts that one franchise and what it did to them. This would have just had a triple trickle-down effect for so many franchises, um, and most notably the, the, the Rockets, but then also what happens with Dwight Howard there. Could it also have just impacted the Spurs by making Orlando like more attractive uh, for Tim Duncan? Uh, so... I mean, Timmy D almost signed with Orlando 2000. So that's a bad example. He probably, that might've been my uh, biggest what if. Uh, and look, as an aside, the Magic should definitely be a more popular free agency destination. Just saying. Um, tilting, you could tilt towards what if Shaq or Dwight never left. That works too. And then of course we have Nick Anderson's missed free throws from game one of the 1995 finals. But Hill's entire career is a gigantic what if. He is already remembered as one of the most unique and versatile players in league history. He'd go down as one of the most dominant if injuries hadn't wrecked his availability. And peak T-Mac and peak Hill absolutely would have been championship material, a wing duo unlike any other in the NBA at the time. Our next team in this NBA what-if exercise, the Washington Wizards. Something related to the Wizards of the mid-2010s was my original intention in this space. What if John Wall never gets injured in their second round series against the very good but beatable Hawks in 2015? What if Kelly Olynyk doesn't mutate into Larry Bird 1.5 in Game 7 of the 2017 Eastern Conference Semifinals? Quentin Mayo from BetMGM elected to go the draft night route. And here's what he wrote to me. Selecting Jan Vesely at 6 overall in 2011 when they could have drafted Clay Thompson, at num- who went number 11, or Kawhi Leonard, who went 15th overall, is my pick. Mayo continued, while the front office has shown ineptitude across multiple regimes when it comes to giving out good contracts or trading for the right players, the crushing blow has been their inability to draft and develop. Vesley is an all-time bust, and that misstep is compounded when you consider Thompson and Leonard were right there. Also, to add insult to injury, Washington worked out Leonard pre-draft, and reports at the time outlined Washington's decision ultimately coming between Leonard and Vesley. They chose the wrong guy, because of course they did. This is, look, if you think that they were going to pick Kawhi, if not Vesley, this is the right choice. Uh, Washington, likewise, was in the mix 
for going with Thompson. There are reports out there that say that. Um, that further cements Vest the Vestley decision in the what-if and alls. It isn't always good form to ding teams for past decisions that might have been considered a reach, but the 2011 draft class was a borderline free-for-all after Kyrie Irving at number one and Derek Williams at number two. If you wanted to go different routes, defending the Kwame Brown pick at number one in 2001 is actually easier than defending this Vestley pick. Kwame was virtually a consensus top prospect after pre-draft workouts. Vesley never reached that level. You could also go with laying an egg in game seven against the Celtics in 2017. That's probably my own pick actually. And Mayo said it was his runner up, but failing to make the conference finals isn't unforgivable knowing the defending champion Cavaliers awaited at the time. But that 2016, 2017 wizard squad was special. The absolute apex of the Bradley Beal and John wall captain era. Still, what if the wizards had gotten Kawhi Leonard or clay Thompson? It's a pretty big friggin' what if. That will do it for this penultimate edition of the NBA What If Exercise. Please remember to subscribe to this podcast. Follow the show on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts if you haven't done so. Join our Discord. The link is in the description. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Link is in the description as well. Until next time, and as always, I leave you with a shout-out to the one, the only, the indelible Frank Mueller.